0: Okay, Second Corinthians 5, starting at verse 14. For the love of Christ constrains us because we thus judge, we thus discern, that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not from now on or from that point or henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Wherefore, Henceforth know we no man after the flesh. Though we have known Christ after the flesh. Yet now henceforth from now on know we him no more. Therefore if any man be in Christ. He or that particular person or let him be as the original says. Let him be a new creature. A new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold all things become new. And all things are of God, who has reconciled us to Himself by Jesus Christ. Notice that we've been reconciled. Those that have received Christ have been, past tense, present reality, and a future unchangeable, been reconciled unto Himself by Jesus Christ, and has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. To wit, to understand that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. This is potential now. Potentially. Not imputing their trespasses unto them, and has committed, or has put in us, the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, and through Christ being in us, we pray, we beseech you in Christ's stead, in his place with him in us, be reconciled to God, for he, God, has made him, Christ the Son, to be the sin sacrifice for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And then we'll go to First John. We're going to go to First John. First John chapter two. First John chapter two verse one says, My little children, these things write I unto you that you sin not, or that you may not sin. Again, because we've said before in the past, we no person, no Christian has to sin. Sin, as a matter of fact, no person has to. It's a choice of the will. So, but my little children, these things I write unto you that you sin not. And if any man sin, if any believer in Christ, really, should sin, we, the we there is those that are in Christ, have an advocate. An advocate is one who intercedes for us. And that's what Christ is doing in Romans 8, verse 34, in Hebrews 7, verse 25, and in Hebrews 9, verse 24. He is ever living to make intercession for us. So we have an advocate a go between a, represent, a representative with the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the righteous. And, and he's our righteousness in 1 Corinthians 1.30. But he stands before the Father, uh, be, uh, representing us in him as our righteousness. Verse 2, and he is the propitiation. Notice this word, propitiation. He is the helasmos. The last in the Greek is H-I-L-A-S-M-O-S. He is the atoning sacrifice, or the reconciling sacrifice. He is the expiation, or again, he is the reconciliation. So the better word, obviously, for atonement is always reconciliation. And he is the reconciliation. The, he is the propitiation for our sins. See where it says our sins? That's all those that are in Christ, in Christ only. And not for ours only, but for the whole world. It doesn't say in the original, and also for the sins of the whole world. You'll see it italicized in most translations. And the reason it is, is because as we've said before, it's an interpolation. An interpolation is something that's put there for a lack of something better or it doesn't belong there. And in this particular case, the context bears it out. It does not belong there. Okay? But also for the whole world. That's where John 1 verse 29 comes in. Okay? That's what John the Baptist was saying, as we said the other day. He was saying, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin. That's dealing with the sin question between the Father and the Son. The whole sin question of all of humanity. It wasn't paying for the sins of any particular individual. It was dealing with the sin question. That is the propitiation or Godward side of the cross. That's very clear. uh, And we need to make that clear in, in the scriptures as God would have us to understand it. And thus, when we receive Christ as our Savior, our substitute, then we are propitiated and our sins are dealt with. And we're going to go into two words uh, this morning. And you don't necessarily, you don't see these two particular words uh, that are really Latin words that are brought over into the English, but you do see them all through the scriptures. You see them all through the scriptures. In the Old Covenant, through the sacrifices and the types, all those types. You see it in the Mercy Seat in Exodus 25, 17 to 22. You see it in all the sacrifices, all those types that are in the book of Leviticus. And all the way through to the New Covenant, the New Testament, especially with Christ and, and who he is in his person and what he accomplished. We're going to see those uh, things uh, this morning by, by God's grace. So again, my little children, these things write I unto you. These are written to us that we do not have to sin. But if we do, that's the proper understanding of it. If we do sin, we have an advocate. We have an advocate with the Father. Notice that? We have someone who represents us, who's for us, with the Father. He is with the Father. And who is he? He is Jesus Christ, the righteous. Or In other words, he's the righteous one, but when we receive him, all of his perfect righteousness was transferred to my account. That's the doctrine of imputation. And again, we've shared this before, the moment that you and I receive Christ as our substitute, our sins are paid for. We've been, he's, he is our propitiation as our substitute when we receive him we're reconciled to God God never had to be reconciled to man he had perfect love for man man had to be reconciled but Christ had to be uh, God the Father had to be propitiated he had to have his justice his integrity, his holiness dealt with something that could never be separated from his love see God loves us but it's just love. It's it's perfect love. It's love complete in itself. And it is just, perfect, pure. See, it's pure love because it's just. And that's what's made us pure in Christ. Because of what Christ has accomplished on the cross as the sin sacrifice, as we brought, as was brought out this morning in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 21. 1 Peter 3:18 says, he, he is the just. The just one dying for the unjust. Eh? He's just. What? Well, he's the only one who could fulfill the justice and integrity of God Almighty, thereby doing away with the wrath that would come upon all those that don't receive <clears throat> Christ as their Savior. Because God cannot have, and cannot even, in, in Habakkuk 1 and verse 13, he cannot even look upon sin or iniquity. He can't. And that's why in, Man- in uh, Micah 7, verse 18, it says, Who is a God like unto you that passes by iniquity? And the Hebrew is literally, he just he looks away from it. And he looks to his son continually. And uh, what a beautiful thing that is, the way it's brought out in the Scriptures. But again, this morning it's brought out by two very, very important words. The first word is expiate. God, Christ, and when he propitiated or satisfied the outraged justice and holiness and righteousness of God his Father, in doing so, he propitiated him, and as our substitute, he expiated to God for us. Expiate. Now this is where we get this Latin word expio just like it sounds. It's from two words, X, E, X, and P-O, P-I-O. And literally, listen to what this word means. It means to worship. I mean, everything that Christ did to his Father, even as the sacrifice, first and foremost, to his Father, was because of worship. He, he did nothing. He, everything about him in his humanity while he walked the face of the earth in his impeccable humanity, he did in a worshipful spirit towards his Father. That's why it says in John 8, 29, he always did those things that pleased him. And then Paul, through the Holy Spirit, repeats it in Romans 15, verse 3. He always did those things that pleased him. And of course, of course, we were in Christ created for his good pleasure for his pleasure in revelations 4 11. so that word expiate literally means to worship or to atone to atone and really honestly this word has in a sense in one sense i don't think it's very a very clear sense as the scriptures bring out but to appease means to appease but really and truthfully, what this word means in the preponderance of the person of Christ and the work that he has accomplished to his Father for our benefit, what it, ha- what it does mean is to make satisfaction for. God is satisfied with you and I. First and foremost, Christ on the cross crucified the old sin nature in Romans 6, 1-6. through six crucified it. He crucified the old nature. And for those that receive him as the substitute, he paid for all of their sins. He paid for all of their sins. Now, where does the Father rest? He rests in his Son. First and foremost, about the sin question, without anyone even receiving the fact that Christ would pay for their sins individually and personally, this was a rest that God had in his son. This propitiation. The sin question. As far as the, he was concerned, whether anyone would receive the fact that, that their sins were paid for by him, his father rested in him. Then when I receive him, Christ, as my, as my savior, as my substitute, when that happens, I... And, and, and my sins are paid for and this goes into the two lots there's two lots that are brought out in the type in Leviticus chapter 16 verses 1-7 through 7. one lot was for the Lord that had to be killed and done away with that's Christ before the Father on the cross dealing with the, with the sin question, Is the difference between sin and personal sins Sin is nature. Everyone born with that. And that's that's what that brings out. And then, when you and I, personally, individually, receive the fact that Christ, and believe and receive the fact that he did pay for our personal sins, I can rest in him, and have the rest and assurance that God is resting about me, because I'm in Christ where he rests. Pretty awesome, isn't it? makes a lot of sense expiate to make satisfaction for right that's in, in type again in Zephaniah 3 in verse 17 it said God is it says God is resting in his love he rests in his love for well, who is his love it's his son that eternal exchange that he had and still has with his son in John 1:1 1, 1, but he the son had to come out in John 1 verse 14. He had to come out. We couldn't go in. He had to come out of that love relationship in his humanity, yet never leaving it in his deity, and put on humanity to become the sin sacrifice for us in John 1 verse 14 so that we could be brought right back into that place of his love where he rests. And where do we rest? In his love for us, and that's in Christ. Where do we rest? For each other in his love, in us, for us personally, and for the other. Because God is no respecter of persons. So it means to make satisfaction for, expiate, to make satisfaction for, to extinguish. Here's a key thing. To extinguish the guilt of a crime by subsequent acts of worship. In other words, every single thing that, that Jesus Christ did in his humanity while he walked the face of the earth was to please the Father and it was pleasing because all he did was worship him. Every th- thought, word, and deed was about him worshiping his Father. That's what it was. And that's why it says again in John eight twenty nine, 29, I always do those things that please him. Why did it please him? Because God sought worshipers, didn't he? The only one he could really search for and that would accomplish it would be his son. But he, God is spirit. And he searches for worshipers in John 4, verse 23. Because in John 4, verse 24, God is a spirit. God is spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Spirit means Holy Spirit in us based upon truth, Christ in us. That's how we worship him. When our will's given over, and we function in the love of His rest and the rest of His love, where we rest. So, li- literally means to, to extinguish the guilt by which the obligation and was God is God obligate, obligated, according to His justice, which cannot be separated from His love, for Him to be just and perfectly righteous and holy, must he judge sin? He has to. That's where it's his wrath is brought out. And that's what John 3, verse 36, brings out clearly. I'll read that, and then we'll, we'll get on and, and finish up expiation, and then get on to vicarious. What it means, that word vicarious means. So here we have here, In John 3 and verse 36. And I'll read it. This will take care of two things we've talked about recently. Recently, universalism and annihilationism. Okay? This verse in itself will take care of it. Here's John 3, verse 36. He that believes on the Son has eternal life. If you see everlasting life there, Cross it out. Okay, it's Zoe, Z-O-E, long E. It's eternal life. The life in 1 John five eleven. that is Christ, who has become our life in Colossians 3 and verse 4. He is our life. And when he appears, he's, he appears, and we know him, and he's our life. So here's what it says. He that believes on the Son has eternal life, and he that believes not the Son will not see life. Look, but the wrath of God abides on him. You can't, can't separate justice from love. You can't. It's inseparable. And if only those would understand, precious men of God that God used mightily, who would teach universalism, because it would be based upon their thoughts and not the full thought of God, and not understanding the nature, character, and essence of God the Father, and Christ the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They wouldn't understand that. They didn't. And then they would teach universalism and annihilationism. And they would even be great soul winners too. And they were. That God used. And they were great because God used his greatness in and through them as a vessel. See? He gets all the credit. So, expiate. Back to expiate. To expiate Guilt. Right? Guilt. Why, why would someone be guilty? They broke the law. Is that a crime? Yes. Is there guilt attached to it? Yes. Yes. But to expiate guilt and crime, this is what Christ did. He performed the act, which he alone could do to purify the person that was guilty. He's purified us. Oh my God. We're pure. Were pure. That's why. To the pure, in Titus one and verse fifteen, to the pure, all things are pure. To the pure, those that are pure in Christ, all things now are pure, and that's we can see them in the purity of how, how Christ actually sees them, because He's our life. We see all things. We don't see evil things as, as pure, but we through through the purity of those those eyes, we see what it really and truly is. We can differentiate between truly what is good and what is evil. We no longer have to function in Isaiah 5 verse 20. They call evil good and good evil. They put light for darkness, darkness for light. They put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. reason, as we've said before, is in Isaiah 8 20, is because there's no light in them. The light that Christ is, that purifies and gives us this this beautiful sight of who we truly are in Christ. So again, this is what it means again. It is it means to that that only him Christ what he performed in his whole life everything about his life was everything about it. There were multitudes of sufferings that he went through. He suffered like no human being could or ever did. He suffered and we're going to see how that word goes into to what it means, uh, this vicarious reconciliation, or again, the better word for atonement is reconciliation. Some would say vicarious atonement. Really, it's a much more clearer word, vicarious reconciliation. And we'll see that uh, very, very soon. But again, here, it is he, he, through his act, his person, and the accomplishment of his work, Purifies the person guilty. Why? And what is this? It's an act which is accepted by God. That's what it means in Ephesians 1 6. We're accepted in his beloved because of expiation. Because of his, his vicariousness, so to speak. We're accepted by and, and by the offended party. Well, who was offended? Whose justice was outraged? You touch the justice of God without Christ, it's instant death. It's instant, instant death. But thank God. And death simply means, again, not annihilation. It means this instant separation Spiritually, and then not receiving Christ means an eternal death, separated from God. In how eventually cast into the lake of fire, in Revelation chapter twenty and verses thirteen to fifteen. But again, so the beauty of this, the the primary sense that of expiation and and vicarious. It, those two words, expiation and vicarious, their primary sense is what, it, what is the result of peace. We have peace with God. Because the old nature's been crucified, the sins have been dealt with and gone forever. God does not treat us any longer after our sins. He treats us in his son. He views us in his son who's dealt with them all. He sees us perfect in our position. And this is why it's very vital to be able to understand these things. What we have in our position so that our experience as we grow in grace and knowledge, the knowledge of that position in 2 Peter 3.18, we need to grow in our experience to be a proper worshiper. One who's worship, In other words, uh, my mind is to be set apart to worship God in every single thing I do. Every single thought, word, and deed when I'm functioning in Christ properly has to do with worshiping God. That eliminates self. It eliminates self and it eliminates the word because that's what the cross has accomplished in Galatians 6, verse 14. God forbids that I should glory except in the cross of Jesus Christ of whom the whole world system, the whole world, everything about this world has been crucified. And then me unto the world. so why would we go there for rest why would we go there to find some form of satisfaction it won't last will it and we've proven it haven't we hopefully I and you prove it less by staying in the satisfaction and rest and acceptance that's ours in Christ where we have a loving father Boy, so important for all of us. So again, what it it has to do with peace. It's a satisfaction for an injured party. What does that mean? Sin. You think of how pure and holy God who is love, and God is love. Love is not God. Mm -mm. No, God is love, 1 John 4, 8 and 16. But you think of how pure love is. Think of how pure. And sin just, it injured it. It injured him. What had to happen in that sense? Christ satisfied that injury for you and I. He did. Injured love. We can function now in love that's not injured any longer. Isn't that awesome? I mean, all our sins are dealt with. God, we have peace with God in our position. Where do we need it now? in our experience. And that's why we have 1 John 1, 9. We can confess our sins. Because he is what? He's faithful, sacrifice, and just. There's justice meant. God is a just God. You'll see that in Micah 6, 6 through 8. you see it in Hosea 6, verse 6, in the Old Covenant which Christ would only, he could only be the one and only is the one that did fulfill it. So we see the beauty of this and the incredible truth of it uh, through these words, but the scriptures bring out the meaning of those English words. Believe me, (laughs) it does. Not those English words, but the word of God, the mind of God brings those words into crystal clear clarity so we can function properly in our experience and that would be the measure of our position. And it's an awesome thing. So we'll wrap this up here soon, but here's what it says, okay? It's It's an act by which his wrath is appeased. We don't have to function in in anything. God's justice has been met only by Christ. Right? There's no wrath for us. There is no wrath for us that are in Christ. That's 1 Thessalonians 1 and verse 10. There is no wrath for us. Remember we read John 3 verse 36. Wrath is for those that refuse Christ the substitute. Wrath does not stop on them. Hell... Hell is cast into the lake of fire and it doesn't go away. And people experience without Christ because their sins weren't dealt with. They experience the second death. And I don't know what folks think when they think of annihilationism, but I, I read in Revelations 20, verse 10, the dead, both small and great, stand before God. Because death is not annihilation. It's a continued existence apart from life, which is Christ, apart from God. And they stand separated. Separated. Death in its basic meaning, separation. But thank God for sanctification that separated us from that old and set us into the new in 2 Corinthians 5. In verse 17, we've been sanctified. Jesus' high priestly prayer in John 17, 17. Sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. Because he sanctified himself, not about sin, but to be the sin sacrifice. In 17, 19 of John. And there's a major, major difference. And there's a difference between an old sin nature and perfect, impeccable human nature, uh, which Christ had. So his wrath, his wrath is appeased for us. There's no more wrath. Even when God chastens us, is wrath involved? Is punishment or correction? Loving, comforting correction. Let me tell you. Comforting love can be pretty intense too. You stick around as long as I have. You see, it can be very intense. But it's still, still intense. The loving chastisement and comfort of his love in Proverbs 3 11 and 12, and in Hebrews chapter uh, 12, verses 4 through 11. So here's where we have this there's no wrath for us in Christ. We have a purged conscience. No more sin. That's what David was crying out in Psalm 51 and verse 14. Deliver me from blood guiltiness. He was in his position, but he wasn't experiencing it. He wasn't. But we have it. In Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 and 2, we have a cleansed conscience. That's our position. What's our experience? Is our experience the equal of my position in Christ? You see how important it is to understand positional truth? Our proper place, our proper identity, our proper image that's in Christ, and how that needs to be in our experience. And you don't expect a child to be an adult when it's a child, but it has to grow. And that's what we're doing. He's making us through sanctification because we've been justified, cleared of all guilt and condemnation. Now he's already and instantly when we receive Christ, he separated us instantly, placed us in Christ. That's our place in him. And Christ places in us. And they're unchangeable, those places. Place that Christ is, and my place in him is unchangeable. Nothing changes it. My sins don't change it. My position, my relationship in Christ. It does touch and affect my fellowship with him. And that's very important to us in our experience, isn't it? Very, very important uh, for us. So again, his wrath has been appeased. We're in Christ. So not only is wrath appeased and dealt with and done away with for the believer in Christ, but we now have his forgiveness procured. That's a nice word, huh? Procured, procured, right? This is procured. It means to obtain and to purchase, and to purchase freely by Christ's effort alone. That's what, I, that's what it's saying in Isaiah 55, 1 and 2. Come, buy and eat without money. You don't have any money. You're bankrupt. There's nothing in yourself of value that could earn your salvation or God's love. So why, in verse 2 of Isaiah 55, do you spend your money on something that won't? Do you spend your thoughts, your time, on something that has nothing to do with expiation and vicariousness? Why? We're growing, aren't we? We're learning. We're being taught. And thank God we grow in grace far before its knowledge. We have, God is so gracious in his love for us far, far, long before we ever obtain the experiential knowledge of it. But he is functioning towards us, resting in his son and, and, and positioned in his son about us and waiting in Isaiah 30 verse 18 to be gracious and to show us in our experience who we truly are. And we're growing in that. And we will for all eternity. But there without interruption or without disturbance. Here, there are interruptions and disturbances. But thank God we can confess them. And get right back instantaneous grace rebound. (laughs) Right back in experientially in a right position that's ours. Truthfully and unchangeable in Christ. So we have that forgiveness Okay, and again, we're gonna close out, and then we'll just finish up um, with vicarious. But we'll close out with expiation. Expiation is the act of atoning for a crime. It is the act. It's the actions of His love and grace, right? But it it is the act of making satisfaction for an offense. God was offended. Now, isn't this interesting too? As I was studying this and God was counseling me very personally in every area of my life up until the moment, right now, and even before early this morning, about offense. Is there anything that Christ hasn't dealt with pertaining to us or about someone that's towards us that he hasn't dealt with that offense? Psalm 119, verse 165, it says, Great peace have they that love your word, your law, and nothing will offend them. Why would I be offended? Because I give place to something that's not my place. That's not true about me. Great peace. I don't know. Does God have great peace and rest in his son? Yeah. God has great peace, and he's given us. The peace Christ has given us the peace that he is himself in Ephesians 2.14. We have peace in Romans 5.1 and 2. And there we meet the Father who has great peace. We have a great loving Father. Great peace. I mean, can you do any greater than having God himself having great peace? <laughs> we have it. So tell me, what would offend us? It would only be an area that we would first function in the flesh long before that, that thing that would be offensive to us would affect us. Because we're not functioning. So it's, so it's not what they're doing or saying against me or against us. It's where am I functioning? Am I functioning properly in my experience, which is the equal of my position? Has God dealt with every single offense? Literally, did he pay for everything, not only about my sins, but those sins of others that would affect me? Did he deal with those and keep me out of them? Are we safe? Maybe he didn't pay for their sins because they're not born again. But but did he pay for mine and keep me out of the flesh because I'm in Christ? Would I be offended? No. We have great peace. You know why we have great love? Because we are resting where God himself is resting. Oh my here we are in time, and here's this God who's always, who always is, is eternal life, and not only that inhabits it, in Isaiah 57, 15, and he's resting in his son, and here we are in time, we can rest with him, who's always been. How are we doing this morning? It's incredible. Again, the act of atoning for a crime, the act or the actions of his love, of, love and grace Making satisfaction for an offense, listen, by which the guilt is done away with. The guilt is gone for you and I in Christ. That's right. We don't bear someone else's sins. We don't bear what they say about us that's not in Christ. We're not the, we don't bear that. It's not who we are. You see? It's not. Okay. So here it is as we close this out. It's making satisfaction for an offense by which the guilt is done away. Romans 8.1 There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ. Again, we say it and I'll repeat it. Nothing else is in that first verse in the original Koine Greek New Testament. Nothing else. It doesn't say... Uh, For the Christian that walks according to the flesh and not according to the spirit. No, it doesn't. Whether we walk in the flesh or not, God's not condemning us. Because Christ dealt with it. It's just, what's my experience? Am I buying the lie? Am I functioning outside of my position in my present experience? Don't make others experience to be the lie of yours. (laughs) By giving them place and by giving them authority, which they have no right to have, to cause you to be something less than who you truly are in Christ. Don't allow them to lower you or to lower Christ in you through a lie. Okay? We're seated above in him, above everything in Ephesians 2.6, above every accusation, every lie, every rejection, every single thing we're above. There's no spot in you in Song of Solomon 4, 7. You're all for my love. No spot in you. So in uh, verse 8, start looking from the top. That's your position. When you do in your experience, what are you below? You're above everything because you're in him and you're resting in his love for you. There's no rest outside of that. So why would we receive anything else? And we don't have to react against what people do to us. We just simply, what keeps us from reacting in the flesh is functioning in the love. And rest of it is love in our present experience based upon our position. See, we keep saying position, experience. Standing, state. My standing is in Christ. It's Romans 5, 2. We stand in grace. What? We're in Christ. That's my standing. Now, what is my state? What is my, con- my condition? Is my condition the equal of my position? Because that, my condition has to do with my experience, and that's vital. Okay, so. So what do we have? We have reconciliation. Okay, we have satisfaction that's based upon propitiation. Christ is our substitute, and we have been reconciled. We're not being reconciled. We have been reconciled to God through Christ our substitute. Now, because he has been made the expiation for our sins, right? And we're made that only by his obedience and by his sufferings alone. We couldn't do anything. Okay? It is the obedience and death of Christ to God for us. And again, propitiation in its first element, its first understanding, its primary sense is God providing for himself a lamb in Genesis 22, verse 8. So when God has provided for himself and is satisfied to the hilt and glorified, if he is, and he is, then when he provided Christ for us, what do we have? Because in God providing for himself first is so provided for you and I. He hasn't left a thing out. Not a single thing. And so, what would it be like then? I mean, I mean, I wrote this years and years ago in my, in my Bible. What would I do, what would you do if we had to carry the burden of last week's failure? What would we be If we were only looking at yesterday's failure, if we were, if we were doing that, what would we do like And doing that, is it truly who we are? Is it truly who Christ has made us to be? I have someone who is able to restore my soul, to put my self-consciousness back into God-consciousness, and not living in self-consciousness, taking in what others would say and others would do about me. You see, what would we be like? But we have someone. We have one who does continually... And entirely rest in his love for us. We have him. And what are we finding? We're finding how different we are in self from Christ. That's what we're finding out. How different we are. And not when we function outside of Christ. That's our position. What's my experience? See how important it is. It's very, very important to understand these things. Why? Why are we different from self in Christ? Because he is the propitiation all the way till you and I are like him. He's not going to rest satisfied until, in my experience, I'm exactly like his love sees me. And then we love we love, in 1 John 4, 19 because he first loved us. Here in his love in 1 John 4.10. Not that we loved him. But that he loved us. And sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now we love. Because we have love that's been given to us. In our own personal experience. To go right back to him. Now we have fellowship. There's nothing interfering. Through Christ between us and God. And that's 1 John uh, 1. Verses 1 through 3. What would we be like? What would be, be like? Love in God comes out with this thought of separating from us all that we are into his own blessedness. He's blessed. God himself is blessed in Christ and he's blessed about you and I in him. Furthermore, he's glorified. He's glorified about you and I in Christ because of Christ's glory. Then finally, vicarious. Here's vicarious. Vicarious. Okay, is where we get, <coughs> excuse me, again, that word in the Latin, vicarius, And this is what it means. It means deputy, right? We can understand that in our English. You have a sheriff. He's the main guy. And what? when he can't be there, what does a deputy do? He represents that sheriff. And he represents everything about that sheriff in his office. Vicarious. He's deputied. Christ represented everything about God for us. He was deputed. He was delegated. It means he was given to him this responsibility. This this authority was delegated by God to his son to, to represent him in that sense as his deputy. This is vicarious. Okay, And it literally means as vicarious power and authority. Christ, through through being vicarious, and vicarious literally means also one who suffers in the place of another. Could we suffer and do it righteously on our own to God without Christ? No, Jesus said, without me, what can you do? In John 15, 1 to 5, without me you can do nothing. There's no good in the flesh, in John 6, 63, the self-life. There's no good in self-consciousness. There's no good in it. It just isn't. And in Romans 7, 18, the Holy Spirit, through Paul, says, "I, I know in me that is in the flesh dwells what? No good thing. But who do we have in Christ? Every single good thing. And then some on top of that. So vicarious has to do with power and authority. The power of his love, the power of his authority. And it also means, vicarious means acting for another, and filling the place of another. Substituted with the place of another. That's right. God gave him as our substitute. Something we couldn't do that only he could do. That's vicarious. And we'll start there uh, this morning, and maybe we can go into those things uh, even even more in a deeper sense, because we're going to continue to grow. And that revelation that doesn't change but the light is going to increase continually. And not only here but for all eternity that light and revelation is going to increase. And that is Ephesians 3.19 to know the love of Christ that passes knowledge. We'll never come to the end of what he's accomplished in the Father's love and giving him and the Son's love and giving himself and the Holy Spirit taking those things of Christ and showing them unto us for all eternity. So, Father, we thank you for the word this morning. We thank you for your grace, your mercy, your unconditional love, everything that you've accomplished in Christ on our behalf. In Jesus' name, amen.